I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, welcome back. Brian, Becky, and Mike here to talk a little bit more about how people learn. And so we've already seen in how people learn one that people didn't learn that differently back in 2000 even if it feels like a long time ago. Back in 2000. That way back in 2000. That's still the same century. <laughs> wow. 22 she years com- ago. She comes out swinging right at the yeah. beginning of the podcast. Yep. Back in yep. 2000. Gotcha. So anyway. <laughs> Moving on. What we also kind of see at the start of how people learn too is a bit of a tribute to wrongness and if any of you follow strange planet you've seen the science fair comic where i have made a tribute to my wrongness and that is science um because when we're when we think about what brian and mike and i do when we're not recording for owl pellets or preparing future ag teachers a lot of our research is around learning science and when you're in a science you get things wrong it just is the way it is mm-hmm. so I think some of that goes back to the preconceived notions that we talked about last time. And the preconceived notion that how people learn to starts off by addressing is thinking about how we had this idea that we could separate emotion from learning and reason. Um, And so a lot of how people learn too is saying, no, we can't, you can't can't do that. Um, And that ties into memory, that ties into cognition. There are all these things that the emotional experience of learning ties into. And I think that's where we're really looking to start Um, because we know learning doesn't happen the same way for everybody. So even if we come in ready for the preconceived notions and the competency and the metacognition that we talked about last time, our students aren't all going to learn the same way. And that's because learning is a social and cultural endeavor. And so I think that's where we're going to start. You know, certainly I think when we start thinking about this, uh, I think Becky's exactly right. Um, You know, a lot of times we want to focus on the skill sets we're developing or the content knowledge, but we need to really think about that whole person and what that means and that learning doesn't happen in a vacuum. And, and there is this social piece um, uh, that, you know, learning is a social experience. We will learn from one another. Um, and there's this, this cultural piece that uh, we're going to have some fun unpacking today. Yeah. Th- this conversation for me really got to think, because I think, so often we try, we I'll probably train, try to act like, okay, we're not dealing with emotion. We're going to come in, you know, and we are going to, we're going to work. We're going to start teaching. And it's just the facts, just the facts. And we're going to knock through these sort of things and reading through this and this, this, the research, which tells us how important emotion is and how much emotion impacts learning and memory. And, and, and again, I think I hope people hear us. It's not like, we all need to join hands and sing kumbaya every time before we start a, a lesson. But it's like, as the ag teacher, you have to understand. And, and we see this. We know this. You talk to ag teachers. Mm-hmm. When that student walks in the door and is grumpy, they're not learning today. That's right. We knew that. But the, the, I mean, the real question, and hope with our conversation here, is, okay, how do we help? How do you deal with that? Because you're going to have 25, 30 different emotions in there. 
especially you're dealing with teenagers. And for those that are listening that are middle school teachers, bless your hearts. <laughs> my th- yeah, I've already, told, already told people my, my theory on middle schoolers, they should be hosed down when they get off the bus in the morning, hose them down again about lunchtime, and then maybe they could be decent human beings. And I have a couple of them, or had had a couple. They're no longer in middle school. So I, I think just understanding that, and, and I was saying here, one of the most powerful things that basically the authors here said, you know, emotions help learners set goals during learner, during learning and emotions, they have to understand emotions to learn. I mean, that just is, is the end of it. And to me, that was like a two by four, like you can try to ignore emotions, but as a teacher, you have to consider that. Yeah, you, 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 you got to know where those students are coming from when they walk through that door. You know, what just happened in the hallway? What happened in the locker room? What happened with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a significant other? And and to get those students back on, and what I always like to call minds on when they get into the classroom is a huge element and a huge piece of that. And then to get them engaged emotionally in the content and the activities that are happening in the classroom, that's when you really hit the sweet spot for learning and engagement in the classroom. I think this is really it's talking to something that teachers already know. Like we know that connection yeah. is important, but I think seeing it just so connected to brain science is hopefully validating for those listening. Because when we think about like social, emotional, motivate, like all these things tie into it, but they're, they don't happen in separate parts of the brain. Like it's very much all of these things and learning and memory. You can't just pull them apart, even just from the biology of the brain side of things, even if we know just from what we from what we see that those relationships and that connection is so critical i think it's important as i sit here and think about working with emotions and our, our students in our classroom I, I think as an ag teacher i had to make sure that i and i didn't do a good job all the time is how do i connect with all the different students because sometimes you're, you're going to have students in your class that are there because they love agriculture and they're their body you're going to have some that are, you know, FFA kids and every time the doors open blue and gold, they're there. And you're going to have some students in there because it was either your ag class or chemistry seven for third period. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. And so what are we doing to connect, to build relationship and connect with those students who aren't the ones that just bleed blue and gold and aren't the ones that just are so excited about the topic. I think those are the ones that this idea of emotion is probably more because they're looking to have that strong relationship, positive relationship with their, and that does not mean that you as the teacher become their best friend. That just means that you're showing that, that student that there is an adult that cares about them rather than just them being a widget that comes through for 45 minutes or 57 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever your class period is um, doing that. And I think, you know, that's, that's the, one of the, many hard things of being a teacher is you, you you have to try to connect with every student every day no matter if they were a knothead the day before or they were the perfect person the day before or or whatever else um i, I think like you said just reinforces the importance of that relate of, of focusing on the relationship in addition to the content i think just that idea that People are willing to work harder to learn content and skills they are emotional about. And you talk about, all right, so we get that ag kid, like that applies at home. Like I see this in action. I had that calf die last night. Like, you know, we had that hailstorm rip through whatever that thing was like, there's that really emotional connection, but 
I think it's finding one of the things that I've found myself having to talk, talking with my pre-service teachers a lot about is this, we tend to talk about is this dichotomy, like we have producers and we have consumers, but we've got so much more in between there. And like, where do we find those connect? Like, it's not just that connection to the teacher. It's that, how do we connect students to their food and fiber supply? How do we find those connect? Like, how do we help students get emotional about, about what we're doing beyond just, I care about you. Cause we, we also don't want to give like, it's not, like you said, it's not just sitting in the circle and singing mm-hmm. Kumbaya. There's, there, there is still content and it, that those facts do still matter. So how do we really connect students to, to that system that they are now part of having stepped into an ag class? The other thing that's, that comes to mind as we talk a little bit about this and the book spends a little bit of time on it is those, those physical uh, influences. So when we start thinking about um, the whole student and the role that culture plays, but also the role that nutrition, sleep, uh, and environmental uh, conditions really start to play in that. Now, I think we intuitively, we know that, but the science is pretty clear that uh, the amount of sleep really affects memory, both short-term and long-term, and same way with nutrition. And you know, we start having conversations with our students or look at what's when students start walking into the building at the beginning of the day, you know, what do they have? Red Bulls and bang and, and all kinds of uh, things that uh, probably aren't setting them up for success when it comes to the kind of the, phys- the physical attributes. Well, and, and what are, how are we modeling that? And this is the other. This is the, <laughs> well, and, and here, do as I say, do as I know it. Everyone is sitting here with water this morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've already in, ingested enough coffee, though. Um, but but that's it, and that's the, that's the scary thing you think about in the other context. I can remember still walking down the hallway one one day at school where I taught, and I heard one of the students say to another one one of the little stupid catchphrases that I always said. And it kind of, oh, that's cool. But then it hit me about an hour later. I'm like, that means they're watching. <laughs> they're watching these are the things that I don't think they're watching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, when you're, one of the cool things about being an ag teacher and a FFA advisor is you get to take kids out to conferences and go to meals and do that kind of stuff. And they're like, they're watching what we eat. And what are we eating in the morning when they come into school? Right. And uh, are we the ones, and sometimes as ag teachers, we talk about this before, you know, we, we wear as a badge of courage, like, well, I was at the school until two in the morning last night right. doing this sort of thing, or, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't had a weekend, a day off for 47 years, and, you know, <laughs> number one, those probably aren't true completely, and number two is like, well, that's a bad, that's a bad role model set, um, that we're not taking care of ourselves to do that, and, one of the things, and I, you know, we all run in different circles, but one of the things that I've observed over the years, you know, I, I remember we always stopped and got donuts for the officer team yeah. in the morning. And, you know, every time you had a, an event, it was always donuts and it was always sugar and high carbs and all those kind of things. And as I, as I look around at events more so more recently, you see, you see those donuts sitting there and you don't see people consuming 
yeah. as many or even maybe not even touching them. Right. And, and so I think as we start thinking about our programming and where we're offering food and those kind of things, I think people are thinking a little bit more healthy and more fruits and, and various things that you could have instead of the, you know, going to the, the store and picking up the, the donuts and all the sugar. Yeah. And, and to all of the donut farmers out there <laughs> that I know you're, you're going out there and you're planning your annual donut crop. We are full supporters of, of, of donut production. Um, but you know, <laughs> You know, it's a, but I get it. It's about having the, the choices that are out there and seeing those things. And maybe it's a donut, not each person, not the, eating a dozen of the donuts. I guess I just things. see habits changing. Right. Um, and, and people looking for alternatives rather than kind of what we have always done uh, traditionally. Yeah. And in here, in this, in this report, they also talk about, in addition to sleep, which again, I think if nothing else, that's worth the price of admission to read what this report talked about sleep for ag teachers. In what we're doing i mean it's just basically it was saying anybody who says they can operate without sleep is full of it um <laughs> they, they, they say it much more eloquently than that but they're saying the the biology just does not say you can sustain that over over time they talk about nutrition which is also important the other one they talk about is exercise and mm -hmm. and again i know people think it's just supposed to be out pellets for ag teachers not not meddling <laughs> um but it did remind me, and this probably came back from a, a, a well, was Gary Moore Friday footnote post a few a few months ago, weeks ago, years ago, whenever it was, I can't remember now. But if people go back and look at the original aims and purposes of FFA, one of them was basically a, a healthy individual of you know that exercise and and that they ate they ate well, and that's how FFA had had you know baseball teams and basketball teams and used to be athletic athletic activity was a built-in part of an FFA meeting uh, to, to get up to have that kind of stuff. So it's really part of our DNA. All of this stuff is really, is not new for us. We may be not focusing on it as much as we, we used to. So maybe it's time for us to, I haven't seen one of those old uh, FFA aims and purposes posters we used to hang up everywhere. <laughs> maybe it's time to dust those off and, and go back and uh, look, at, look at some of those. Oh, there's probably a few hanging in some. Uh... <laughs> Egg mechanic shops and uh, classrooms, yeah. Right next to the old pictures of George Washington that, that we used to have up there and, and that kind of stuff. You probably never even saw one of those. No, I, in fact, I'm not. <laughs> Do you know who George Washington was? Yes. Okay. I'm not, I'm not ignorant, just young. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> that's a quote that's got to be that's going to be the title I, they, of the they podcast. They say young and dumb for a reason, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things though, like we talk about modeling well, and we talk about doing these things as ag teachers, but there's also a piece of this where at the end of the day, a lot of our students aren't going to come with this. And there's yeah. a piece of this that's outside of our control. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of, some of the tough conversation around this is recognizing that our students aren't coming to school with proper nutrition or having gotten enough sleep. And there are a ton of factors that go into why our students may not be coming that way. One of the conversations that I have with my pre-service teachers is, you know, where do we start on Maslow's hierarchy of need? Right. Like what, what is our, what is our actual job as teachers <laughs> relative to some of those needs and things that kids need to be able to learn? Yeah. Well, I think you take that 
at the same time, so we're, we're talking about that question, but that question you're asking, and then there's a thing out there where teachers and administrators feel, okay, I have to get this many standards taught, met, yes. objective things checked off. Where do those two things meet? How, how do they collide in the classroom? Mm -hmm. And and the teacher has to address that. Like, where am I today as the teacher on Maslow's hierarchy? Right. And where are each of my students on there? And how do I accomplish the goals of the, of the day and, and the, the pressures that I have? And a lot of this that we're talking about, and, and maybe it's a conversation for another day, but the book does a nice job of trying to unpack the cultural piece and the role that cultural culture plays in this and kind of does a nice job of defining talking a little bit about culture and if we say that education is a social experience then culture has to play a part of that and so having that that conversation and thinking about how single individuals but also communities and small groups um, their behaviors and beliefs play a role in learning and play a role in the classroom and uh, what we try to accomplish. Well, I think it's for us to remember as ag teachers, we talk about the different aspects that we were able to play in the role of the lives of the students and the lives of the community. And I mean, I think the math teacher, the science teacher has the same opportunity to kind of connect with students, but we have a, we have a, a different, and I would argue a, a better, or one of my emotion, it says it's a better vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, to talk about, and that goes back to what you're passionate about, yeah. you know, um, to, to, to really engage with the students. And, and just, when you think about the power of emotion, think of yourself, you know, when you had a topic that you were going to go teach that you were excited about, that you were passionate about and really wanted to do, mm -hmm. how did that lesson go? How did the students engage in that lesson? And then think about a, a, a topic or a, or a lesson or a course you taught that you were not excited about. Okay, kids, this isn't going to be fun, but we have to get through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and then, what happened? How yeah. did it go? You know, um, it. I mean, I, to me, that just just screams at the 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 role of emotion. And again, that it may some folks listening may think got a little warm and squishy to be talking about, <clears> but it's it's that's that's what we're talking about. We're talking about emotion, and and the impact that has it. I have to believe every single person who's ever taught anything in their life has seen the impact that that kind of thing has on on the student and, and as you as, as the teacher i think even the i don't know that they they talk about it as explicitly in this chapter but even the way emotion is connected to your willingness to take risk or your risk aversion like as a teacher what am i willing to try because i'm interested in this what am i willing to put myself out there on because either I'm really comfortable with it or I'm really passionate about it. And then on the other side, then how do I bring my students? Like there's a strong <laughs> emotional connection to what I'm willing to risk and what I'm willing to try. And I think, you know, we've, we had, we've, we've done some stuff with inquiry-based learning and we're talking about just some of those ways that we're asking students to really take charge of their own learning. We are asking students to take a big risk because they have to be wrong. Right. Like, and that's, and that's mm -hmm. scary. And that's a hugely emotional thing to just ask our students to be wrong about things. And that's, I think that's, that's gone away. A little, like yeah. we just, we just want so badly for them to get it right. And for them to get it right fast, we forget about how hard learning has to be for it to really yeah. be learning. Well, and we've been grading students 
for so long in, in education that there's a right and a wrong answer mm -hmm. and there can't be these gray areas when it comes to things and so you know getting them out of the the thought that there's it's it's there's a dichotomy and either you're wrong or you're right and feeling comfortable in that squishy gray areas is is, uh, is is really a challenge for students and, and to get behind that and probably ag teachers also have have a hard time with that at times I know even myself as a teacher you know it's a lot easier when you when you got a right answer versus trying to process and, and grade and evaluate and challenge students when there's no no right or wrong answer. Well, I think it's one of the major lessons we can teach. You know, I've talked to several times on the podcast about my my ag teacher, Mr. Ferguson, again, who was my dad's ag teacher. So he'd been there a day or two. <laughs> um, probably one of the biggest things he taught us was how to plan, but then also how to recover when things don't go right. Yeah was how do you stand, stand back and, and use that we, we failed we, you know we failed at times but then that was not a you were not a failure right you figured out how okay now now what we do what we learn next how do we how do we either clean up the mess that we just made or move on and, and do better do better next time mm -hmm. and and you're right that takes a lot of emotion and that trust to to, to be able to to be vulnerable enough to to, to make to allow that to happen um and I think that's that's part of it. And a lot of it just in this the report talks about too. We may talk a little about it in, in a later podcast, but just the language we use in talking to students when they're successful, which I which was really got me like the yeah. language of when somebody is successful, like man, you're so smart, you did so good on here compared to how they reacted the next time compared to man, you worked so hard, look how well you did. Whether we say it was because of you were smart this happened, or it was because you worked hard, and what showed was if you said, "Well, man, you're smart," when they when they came into struggle the next time or to another situation, they 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 did not handle it well because they're like, "I'm not smart right now in this particular thing." What happens? But if we build them up and say, "Man, you did well because you worked hard," that played down the road and helped them be more successful in other areas. So I, this was. Again, to me, that thinks about how you raise your own kids, yeah. thinks about how you talk with other teachers, other people, your students, everybody, is what are you attributing their success to and the impact yeah. it has of how they handle it when they do, when they fail. I think the conversation's not limited just to the classroom yeah. either, especially when you were saying, like, when we're talking about what's, what's next, I think about some of those moments, especially with my own, with, with my students when I was in the classroom, like, those opportunities that students have to not to not be the state officer to not have like to not make the team to not get on state like it's as you know it's, it's not just the recognition of yeah great we had the winning soils team but also like there were also a lot of kids who are not the winning soils team mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's so it's not it's not just this i think again that that comfortability failure is never comfortable like right. it's, it's never we're never going to get to this point where we're like I love failing. <laughs> failing is awesome. Please let me fail again. Right. But, but being able to, like you said, come back from that to say, what's what's next if this didn't go didn't go my way? And making sure students have those tools. I think it's a lot of that. What are students taking from an ag class that's not just ag content? And how are we yeah. emphasizing some of those some of those skills? With I mean, I don't think we talk about emotion as a skill. We talk right. about it as fluffy and touchy feely. But when we think about 
you know, the, the resilience and the comfortability with failure. And some of the, like, those are very connected to, to an emotional experience that we need our students to take beyond our classroom. I'm a little disappointed about this failure comment, Becky. It's the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> Mike is, we, sorry, I stand corrected. Mike yep. is very comfortable with failure. <laughs> but, you know, as, we, as we're coming to an end on this one, I, I do, I can almost, you know, I hear some IT teachers, they're going, well, I'm going to teach them the real world. The real world's tough and it's not about emotion and they just need to suck it up and move on. I mean, and I'm, and anybody knows me knows that I'm not super emotional guy. Let's all, you know, do this. <laughs> not that funny. Did I, did I hurt your feelings? <laughs> <laughs> but I think we have to think about those things. And again, it's not that we have to protect them and all this kind of thing here, but we have to look at emotion and as a, as that skill. And again, be thinking about the language we're using and, and how, we're communicating that and, and it does take some time to, to get there and the other thing that we have to remember as ag teachers you know I, I remember this going back you're working with these kids every day and you work with them every day after a while you think they're like real people but then sometimes you gotta remember they're 14 12 13 14 15 16 17 years old they're still kids mm -hmm. and they're not going to have that emotional maturity and, thing, and, and you have to really watch what you say because they learn from that. You know, I'm thinking there's, there's you know, some people joking that, well, second place is just first loser. Well, I know what they mean it from a joke kind of a standpoint there, but that can be really hard for some, for the for certain students. And it's not just about making them tough. It's like, how do you help them understand that there is something to be learned from all the different, different experiences that they have? Yeah, I, I think a couple things too, as we conclude that I think are pertinent to the conversation is, um, a level of trust and, and a multi-dimensional focus on trust. The, the students have to trust the teacher, teachers got to trust the students, the community and the parents have a role in that in that trust so that that uh, you can make mistakes, you can be wrong. And, and, and then when we tie the emotional pieces into this and, and we think about that whole student, um, there's a lot of energy that gets consumed if there's a lot of deep learning going on. And we really haven't talked about that other than on the other side of that, that rest, exercise, mm -hmm. good nutrition is all part of that because you gotta, you gotta, you know, like any good athlete, if you're a marathon runner or anything like that, you gotta take time to recover. And, and uh, I think, I think we could think about that from a learning perspective as well. Absolutely. I think if you heard anything today, it's that there are more podcasts coming. That <laughs> 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 There's plenty more to unpack in this report. Um, with that, we will sign off for this round of How People Learn, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you. And we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.